Africa rise and shine Africa zorta Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to the third and final hour of Africa Rise and Shine this morning. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa and Tabiso Lohoko. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the hour. South Africa's intelligence scoffs at allegations of Iran's plot to assassinate the United States ambassador to the country. The Council for Scientific and Industrial Research collaborates with mobile agricultural skills and development training to introduce a mobile food safety testing facility. And in economics news, the South African Liquor Traders Council says it's concerned about continued restrictions on the sale of alcohol. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Good morning, I'm Anne Musa. Cameroon is sending hundreds of troops and police to the Central African Republic to protect civilians and build peace ahead of the December elections. The troops under the UN's multidimensional integrated stabilization mission, known as MINUSCA, finished training last week in the border village of Bochobom. Cameroon's Defense Minister Joseph Betty Asamu says the troops would foster peace by protecting civilians, election staff, their materials, international observers, and refugees returning to the Central African Republic. The UN has asked Cameroon's troops to help the Central African Republic address its security and socio-political turmoil by enabling citizens to rebuild destroyed institutions. The Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Walby, says South Africans and Africans as a whole should look to the struggles and victories of the past in order to forge a stronger future. He was speaking during a virtual prayer service to mark the Anglican Church of Southern Africa's 150th anniversary on Sunday. The South African government has come under great scrutiny and has been marred by allegations of corruption, including during the COVID-19 pandemic. Walby says South Africa must remember and live by the legacy of its history such as Nelson Mandela and Archbishop Desmond Tutu. We remember that despite colonial wars, despite the profound, unique evil of apartheid, South Africa came to liberty. Surely that was the work of God. Working through great heroes, do not forget to remember every person in this extraordinary, inspirational country is changed by what happened in the late 1980s and in the early 1990s. That heroic standing for what is right will lead in the future. So may God bless and sanctify Africa. 
The Regional Expert Committee on Traditional Medicines for COVID-19 hopes that the Phase 3 clinical trials of herbal medicines will begin next month. The committee was formed by the World Health Organization, the Africa Center for Disease Control and Prevention, and the African Union Commission for Social Affairs. The panel has endorsed the protocol for Phase 3 clinical trials as well as a character, or rather a charter in terms of reference for the establishment of a data and safety monitoring board. The WA WHO's Dr. Osi Kasilo says some countries, such as South Africa, are awaiting permission to proceed to phase three trials. We have identified some of the countries, for example, Madagascar, which will test COVID organics, which contains Artemisia annua and other two indigenous medicinal plants. Several countries will be participating, and that's why it's called a master protocol, which will be evaluating the same product which is COVID organics. We hope that within 12 months or so, from the onset of the phase three clinical trial, we should be able to get the results. Phases, there are those in phase one, there are those in phase three, such as Benin, Democratic Republic of Congo, Nigeria, South Africa, Guinea, the provincial government in South Africa's KwaZulu-Natal province says it will continue to use the Cuban doctors that were deployed in the province to assist in the response to the coronavirus pandemic. More than 200 professional health professionals from Cuba arrived in South Africa in April and were deployed across the country to bolster services at local health facilities. The provincial health emissi Nomagoku Similani Zulu. When we received the brigade of 27 Cuban doctors, a couple or a few of them were epidemiologists. We don't have enough as the province of Wazulu Natal in terms of government, but we also don't have so many within the private sector. And sometimes Those that are in the private sector, we are unable to afford them because at government there's only a particular scale of payment that can be conducted and could not recruit due to their financial constraints. So we are quite happy to have them because we will be able to utilize them. As protests continue in the Belarusian capital Minsk, anonymous hackers leaked the personal data of 1,000 police officers in retaliation for the crackdown on demonstrations against President Alexander Lukashenko. The hackers also posted a statement saying that as long as the arrests go on, they will continue to publish the personal data of security force members. The government said it would find and punish those responsible for leaking the data. Lukashenko's crackdown on the protest following August's disputed presidential poll has prompted the European Union to weigh fresh sanctions against his government. The Zambian national football team, the Chipolopolo, will face off with Kenya's national football team in the Harambe Stars in the International Friendly on the 13th of October in Nairobi. The Zambians are expected to also take on Bafana Bafana between the 7th and the 15th of October. Our Zambian correspondent, Numacha Nalikezo, reports. This is according to the Football Association of Zambia General Secretary Adrian Kashala, who said the invitation from SAFA indicates that Zambia should be playing South Africa on October 8 before flying out to Nairobi where they expected to play the Harambe Stars of Kenya on October 13th. They are treating these friendly matches with the utmost importance considering that Zambia will be playing Botswana in the back-to-back African Cup of Nations 
qualifier matches in, in November. And that's the news headlines at 7.30 Central African time. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you. And it's 7.08 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Our South Africa State Security Agency has poured cold water on allegations that Iran was plotting to assassinate the United States ambassador to the country. In a statement, the intelligence agency said the information provided is not sufficient to sustain the allegation and have requested additional information from the United States government. This confirms comments from the country's chief diplomat who earlier questioned the veracity of the reports International Relations Minister Dr. Naledi Pandor was reacting to the political story that the Iranians, including its embassy in Pretoria, was part of a plot to take out Ambassador Lana Marks to avenge the assassination of Iranian commander Qasim Soleimani in January. Show and Bryce Peace reports. The Politico report cites multiple U.S. intelligence sources that they were aware of the alleged plot since the autumn months in South Africa and that the Iranian embassy in Pretoria was involved. In an interview with Minister Pandor, I asked her to react to that report and whether she got a heads up from U.S. intelligence. This was our exchange. No, um, once we have an indication, and it was in the public domain through the media, that we got this indication. We would uh, liaise with our colleagues in the police service who provide the security uh, uh, detail at the various embassies throughout uh, South Africa. We also uh, would speak to my colleague in state security and ask them to take a closer look at the matter. So I understand as they have indicated through a public statement, this uh, matter is, is being looked at Uh, I believe there have been meetings with the uh, ambassador, but it is a matter of the protection services and that which is provided to our diplomats. We have assured them through the statement of Minister Jojo that South Africa believes diplomats in our country are safe and should there be a need for additional measures, these will be taken. And obviously we will ask and uh, Minister Jojo will probably seek uh, more information from her colleagues in the security sector in the United States. Uh, but uh, it, it's been a very strange uh, uh, you know, public uh, statement. And of course, our friends in Iran are as surprised as we were. So just to confirm, you did not get a heads up from the intelligence services in the United States that this was a concern of theirs. You learned of this from the Politico story. Yes, as, as Minister of International Relations, yes, I can't answer for my colleague uh, in state security, but certainly yes. But you say it reeks of something. I'm saying I, I find it surprising. Uh, you know, why would Iran, uh, being a very good friend of South Africa, come and commit uh, a horrendous uh, uh, act uh, in, in a country which has been a good friend to, to, to Iran? I and uh, of such a nature, it just, uh, you know, I can only describe it as bizarre. And let me stop there. 
This was echoed by other Iranian observers in the U.S., including the founder and president of the National Iranian American Council, the largest organization representing people of Iranian descent in the U.S. Dr. Trita Parsi questioned why Iran would target a relatively unknown U.S. ambassador in a friendly country like South Africa, something that also raised red flags for Iranian journalist Bahman Kalbasi. We kind of know that they're not done with getting revenge for Qasem Soleimani's assassination, the the top general that Donald Trump ordered uh, back in January. But it is, uh, the question is why would they do it in an ally country, South Africa and Iran do have and do enjoy a longstanding relationship. Uh, Doing something like that will certainly uh, impact that relationship negatively. And the other question is, it is really not an eye for eye if you went after an ambassador to South Africa who's not known uh, to be very active in Iran policy or known at all inside Iran uh, as a way of getting revenge. Kalbasi also provided some insight into the internal workings of the Iranian government, particularly when it comes to issues of this nature. While there are also history of people within the security apparatus in Iran doing uh, taking action that sometimes is characterized as rogue, meaning it wasn't sanctioned by the top leadership in Iran. It, this seems to be falling on the category of things that would have needed uh, approval from very top officials. So it remains to be seen whether this is something that they really considered or was it something that was discussed and then moved on from what is the nature of the intelligence? We don't know the answer to that. Of course, allegations that the U.S. government, Donald Trump's government, might be trying to, uh, you know, selectively leak a information that would benefit the president in the in the 50 days that we have till elections. Ambassador Marks, on her first diplomatic posting, was sworn in as top U.S. envoy to Pretoria in October 2019 and presented her credentials to President Cyril Ramaphosa in January this year. I'm Sherman Rice-Pierce in New York. Burundi's President Everest Ndaishimie and his counterpart John Magufuli of Tanzania are in talks over the construction of a joint nickel smelting factory to be built in west of Tanzania, Kigoma. Magufuli revealed the deal on Saturday shortly after he had introduced visiting Burundi's President Everest Ndaishimie to a public rally at Lake Tanganyika Stadium. This is the first state visit of President Ndaishimie out of his country's since he was sworn in as the head of state. Gabriel Zakaria reports from Dar es Salaam. President of Burundi, Everest Ndayeshimiye, was received by his counterpart, President John Magufuli of Tanzania, at Lake Tanganyika Stadium in Kigoma region, west of Tanzania, where he was accorded a 21-gun salute before held a closed-door meeting. During his welcome remarks, President Magufuli said the one-day working visit by Ndayeshimiye was aimed at strengthening investment and trade relations between the two East African countries. Leo tutazungumza kuhusu uwezekano wa kujenga mtambo wa pamoja wa kuchenjua. We are discussing how we can build a processing plant in Kigoma, Tanzania to benefit our two countries. Since we have reserve of nickel minerals in Kabanga, our talks have also started, but we need to speed up so that we can establish the plan to melt our nickel mining before we auction them. 
and this plant will benefit our citizens from Tanzania and Burundi. We have talked about a joint venture railway construction from Burundi to Tanzania. We need our people to experience railway transport as they are doing now by road and flight after we introduced our national carrier Air Tanzania to Burundi. Once we establish railway transportation, people from here, Kigoma, will be able to transport their goods to Burundi, and likewise, and the business people will trade their nickel mining easy. Kigoma was a home to thousands of refugees from Burundi who fled their country during civil war. President Ayushimi reiterates, Tanzania, sio kusema ni rafiki tu. Tanzania, wa Tanzania wote ni ndugu. Wa Tanzania, Burundi tunasema kwamba wa Tanzania ni wazazi. We Burundians, we don't regard Tanzania as a friend country. It is more than a friend. Historically, you are our father because the late Mwalimu Julius Nyerere played a vital role towards our struggle for independence. We remember how he spearheaded the Burundi delegation to United Nations during our stalemate. When we had civil war, Tanzania became our host country to a huge number of refugees who fled the country. And it is with these reasons we say Tanzania is a parent to Burundians. And my visit today is a learning tour. I have come to learn from you and see how I can implement in my country. Wakapata wenyeji, tunawashukuru sana ndugu. Ndiyo sababu nimekuja kusoma hapa, kusoma kwako, ili nijue nitafanya nini. According to President Magufuli, Tanzania Investment Center has registered Burundians' investments worth about $29.42 million with 544 employment opportunities adding that more than 10 Tanzanian companies have invested in Burundi. For his part, Burundi's president, Yishimiye, commented the President Magufuli for transforming Tanzania within a short period of time, saying the transformation was a lesson to his country. Nikupongeze kabisa kwa sababu umejenga Tanzania. On behalf of Burundians, allow me to congratulate you, Your Excellency President Magufuli, for the transformation you made in a short period of time. I personally have witnessed the great change you made in this region of Kigoma. I happened to pay a private visit with my family here, but now I see big development in Kigoma. I once again congratulate your leadership for the remarkable job. I'm also aware that you are on a campaigning now, and I believe Tanzanians will elect you again for your second term. Tena sana. Na warundi wote wanasema, nikiwepo, ningechagua Dr. Pombe Magufuri. Tanzania has been close to Burundi from the struggle for independence, peace, mediation, and a home to a number of refugees who fled their country during civil war. Reporting for Channel Africa in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, this is Gabriel Zakaria. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. We have withstood the coronavirus storm. Now is the time to return our country 
its people and our economy to a situation that is more normal, that more resembles the lives that we were living six months ago. Following consultations with a number of stakeholders, cabinet decided that the country should now move to alert level one. The move to alert level one will take effect from midnight on Sunday, the 20th of September, 2020. This move recognizes that levels of infections are relatively low and that there is sufficient capacity in our health system to manage the current need. Channel Africa. For your latest update on the novel coronavirus for Channel Africa in Mombasa, Kenya, I am Diana Wanyonyi. Droplets spread virus. By following good respiratory hygiene, you protect the people around you from viruses such as cold, flu, and COVID-19. At 7.21 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. All teachers in South Africa who were granted concessions to work from home during the nationwide lockdown have to report back to school this morning. The Department of Basic Education had given 22,500 teachers permission to work from home as the country battled the coronavirus pandemic and substitute teachers were employed in their absence. Their return to school coincides with the country moving to lockdown level one. On Wednesday, President Sil Ramaphosa announced that the country would be moving to a lit level one from today. Tabilim Bele reports. The concessions were given to teachers with underlying health conditions who were deemed to be at an increased risk of getting seriously ill and even dying if they contracted the virus. The department says the move to level one means that the risk has significantly diminished. Basic Education Department spokesperson Elijah Mlanga says the school management must fulfill the contracts with substitute teachers. This is because the collective agreement which has been entered into between teacher union and the department through the Education Labor Relations Council will cease to exist at midnight on the 20th of September. We know that there have been substitute teachers who have been employed. We request that schools continue to meet their contractual obligations with them until such time that the contract has expired. But they could also find other ways of utilizing the services of the substitute teachers. Teachers Union, the South African Democratic Teachers Union, has advised educators who are not ready to return to school to apply for normal leave. SATU's General Secretary Mugwena Maluleke says the revised curriculum and alternate school days for certain grades will continue when the last batch of teachers return to school. He says government should use part of the COVID-19 relief fund to enhance teaching and learning. Now with level one, we believe that the government would be able to repatriate the amount of money, almost 2.1 billion that they gave it to the relief fund so that it can assist us in our schools. That is what we believe should be able to happen. We need to 
strengthen our campaigns around issues of health and safety because the virus is not relaxing. We will not be having 100% occupation. Clearly it is that we are going to have a revised percentages. We will still maintain the 50% occupation. We will still maintain the rotation in terms of the timetable. We will still maintain the revised curriculum. The National Teachers Union, NATU, has called on the Basic Education Department to reconsider keeping substitute teachers in schools until the end of the year to assist since it believes not all teachers will return to school today. The union has also called on its members who are not feeling well to stay at home and follow proper procedures of applying for sick leave. Here's NATU's president, Alan Thompson. We want to make a call again that uh, the teachers that have been employed as substitute teachers in those schools that were fortunate to get substitute teachers. The department must consider allowing those teachers to continue assisting teachers with comorbidities, especially because we still have overcrowded classes. That is going to perpetuate the problem of infection in schools. There is no class that must have more than 40 learners in the classroom. So as a result, we still need additional teachers who are going to ensure that we reduce the class size. Tabilempele, Johannesburg. Ugandan forces have launched a manhunt to recapture more than 200 prisoners who escaped jail after stealing weapons and fled into a remote wilderness in the country's northeast. At least three people, a soldier and two of the 219 escapees died in a gun battle and two inmates were rearrested. A jailbreak occurred near the army barracks in the district of Moroto. It is Uganda's third prisoner escape since the outbreak of the coronavirus in March amid fears of contracting COVID-19 in cramped jails. For more on this, Channel Africa spoke to Frank Bainer, Uganda Prison Service spokesperson. On Wednesday, in one of the regional prisons in northeastern Uganda, we got a jailbreak. Yes, 219 prisoners escaped out of 684. And uh, the team is on the ground to establish the, the real causes. But for now, tentatively, we know there was tension as a result of finding some further inmates with COVID-19 and, and full staff. So that's where it is standing. And of course, plus the usual delayed uh, trials, but we are yet to find out because the team hasn't come from there. Yes, of course, after they, 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 they grabbed the gatekeeper, uh, ended up breaking into the armory, taking 14 guns and, uh, and, and 480 rounds of ammunition. Uh, the attempt to broke them were proved futile. In fact, in the process, because we involved other security agencies like the police and the army, and the prisoners shot one of the army men dead. Uh, but in the process, I can confirm that nine prisoners have been recaptured and the three have been put in put out of action and the pursuit of these uh, criminals is still, is, is still on and the, it won't, the operation won't it sounds like these are hardcore criminals. There are also reports that they took off their distinctive prison uniforms and fled naked into the hills to avoid detection. Can you confirm this? Yeah, of course, northeastern region is one 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 region that has a very long history of guns. Uh, even as we are talking, the disarmament uh, is going on to remove the guns from illegal uh, illegal persons or illegal positions. And uh, so the, the the area is is really fragile. Even in the neighbourhood, of course, it is there is a lot of proliferation of small arms from the neighbourhood, Kenya, Sudan. 
and some of these weapons come from as far as, as Somalia. So all, all these people we are talking about had, are actually on offensive related with misuse of the gun or illegal position owning a gun. So the, 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 it's that, the, in short, we know them as warriors and warriors who, who are normally armed and who carry out raids. So that's why we cannot take it uh, lying down to have this uh, an extra again for ten guns in the public uh, uh, we, because we are we are we know what they are going to use them for. Some are saying uh, this incident is likely to have uh, been caused by overcrowding in the prison. Would you say overcrowding may have been the cause for this jailbreak? No, I don't think so because Moroto is one of the new prisons and uh, it, it, it has a capacity of one of 500 inmates and you see it was just slightly overcrowded. It's not among the crowded prisoners that we have in the country. So I think we might have to look at human error as a factor responsible for this escape, not, 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 not overcrowding. This is Uganda's third prisoner escape incident since the outbreak of uh, coronavirus uh, in March. Are you concerned um, as uh, the Ugandan prison service that uh, this is the third prisoner escape? Definitely, definitely. Even an escape of one prisoner is a, a demonstration that we are not up to 100% of our task. And that's why we cannot take anything for granted. Uh, of course, uh, we take responsibility and we address the, the, the challenges which we which might have caused this. And that's why we are now trying to see, because uh, to the best of my knowledge, even the, the top management discussed the matter. And early next week, top management will go on the ground itself. By then, the inspectorate team will have brought the report so that uh, we have a long-lasting solution. That was uh, Frankie Baine, spokesperson of the Uganda Prison Service on the line from the capital, Kampala, speaking to Kumbele Munjelele. WHO recommends 30 minutes of physical activity a day for adults and one hour a day for children. If your local or national guidelines allow it, go outside for a walk, a run or a ride, and keep a safe distance from others. If you can't leave the house, find an exercise video online, dance to music, do some yoga, or walk up and down the stairs. Avoid touching your eyes, nose and mouth to slow the spread of the coronavirus. For more information on the coronavirus, visit the World Health Organization site at www.who.int. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy which can ensure full employment to our people. The government concurs with the views of the Black Economic Empowerment Council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on Black Economic Empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at Netle to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that discussion have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive 
to industrialize, to attract investment, and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs. Tried looking for a job for it's a year and a half now. The challenges were experience and the, the level of education which I have. Channel Africa. It's 7.31 Central African time and our headlines up next with Anne Musa. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Good morning, I'm Anne Musa. In the headlines, South Africa has officially entered alert level one of the nationwide lockdown. More regulations have been eased to allow South Africans to further start adjusting to the new normal. Cameroon is sending hundreds of troops and police to the Central African Republic to protect civilians and build peace ahead of the December elections. And Democratic presidential candidate in the U.S., Joe Biden, has urged Senate Republicans not to vote in any candidate nominated to the Supreme Court as the November election approaches. Those are the stories making headlines. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Anne. The Council for Scientific and Industrial Research is collaborating with Mobile Agricultural Skills and Development Training to introduce a mobile food safety testing facility. This accessible facility will be built for commercial and small rural farmers in the South African rural agro sector. Dr. Damarai Naika, Food Safety Program Manager at CSIR, has more on these plans of bringing accredited food testing to rural South Africa through mobile laboratories. So if you may allow me, as Zikona, the Council for Scientific and Industrial Research recently embarked on its industrialization strategy. And through that strategy emanated this program called the Food Safety Program, where we are looking at bringing innovation um, into the food safety testing um, sector. So having engaged in the agro space for many years with the commercial farmers and the SMEs, we identified challenges in accessing food safety testing laboratories. And it's a pressing, a pressing issue not just for the commercial farmer, but also for the SMEs in the citrus, in the grain, in the dairy industry, through my own engagements for the years. And also the logistics of getting samples to laboratories are critical and very expensive. So the, the, the concept of the mobile laboratory for food safety testing that is accredited, which is critical, to generate results that are reliable and that would be a first um, made accessible to these SMEs to test their products for food safety uh, is an opportunity that we've identified. And not only will it allow their food to be safe for families and the community, but also allow them to tap into to larger markets. So the CSIR is aligned to the Department of Science and Innovation, and part of its bioeconomy strategy talks to supporting SMEs for valorization of their products for export markets. So we want to look at how we can ensure that even some of our underutilized crops like sorghum and bambara nuts, et cetera, can actually get into larger markets through uh, the food safety assurances that are required. 
And so we are piloting with our partner, Mobile Agri Skills uh-huh. Development Trading, also an SME, um, so that we can support and expand its offerings through our collaboration to the SME sector. Mm. Dr. Naika, uh, many farmers across the country lose out, of course, on lucrative export opportunities because they simply can't uh, provide the required food safety proofs. Um, do you think that this will go a long way in terms of bridging that particular gap? Absolutely. And as I said, it's so important that, that we try and get these SMEs to tap into the export market. But mm, it's not easy. Mm. There are stringent requirements uh, to get your product into export markets. And we've engaged with the Department of Agriculture, Land Reform and Rural Development, who are responsible for, for um, uh, the regulations of some of the products for ex- export markets to say that we want this facility um, recognized for statutory testing, meaning that this facility, once you test your product in this facility, mm. you get a certificate of assurance that means you can sell your product to export markets. That is, we want to get this facility statutory compliant, but also we want to um, to inform farmers that if they if they have their products tested, they get into export markets, they get into retail markets, they can also start submitting, you know, in response to tenders for government a call for providing foods to to prisons, to schools. It widens the opportunity if they have such a facility, access to such a facility for testing. But also we want to say is that if we can have a facility that tests the soil, the water, you know, for pollutants, uh, heavy metals, it will also uh, raise alarm bells to the environmental health practitioners if an area is compromised, um, you know, with these pollutants, and then government can intervene to address, uh, you Mm. know, those specific uh, issues and challenges for the farmers. Doctor, we understand that you're also looking to secure investments from public and private funders in order um, for this initiative to be successful. Uh, for those who'd like to invest or who um, uh, may be curious about, uh, um, you know, uh, getting involved in that way, how do they go about it? Yeah, so, so the this initial phase of the project was funded by the Department of Science and Innovation and the CSIR, where we looked at um, exactly what the needs of, of the, the agri-sector is around the mobile food safety testing facility. We had held a workshop in, in February where we brought um, even our neighboring countries like Eswatini and Namibia to this meeting where we discussed the feasibility of such a facility. And we also invited our potential funders from the private and the public sector. So we are looking for private investors. Now we're moving into phase two, which requires implementation of our plan in bringing high-end analytical equipment into the facility, uh, customizing it for mobility. Remember, we have to take the laboratory out through rugged terrain, gravel, potholes, where the rural communities and SMEs generally reside. Um, so we need the investment, and we want to strengthen our public-private partnership. And we are hoping that private investors through their corporate social responsibility initiatives, you know, that are aligning to the sustainable development goals of the UN of 2030, also look to support this initiative because it's the first for the country, first for the region. And once we have this pilot lab in um, implemented in, in the food safety testing value chain, there will be opportunities to then look at multiplying this and having such labs in, in various municipalities to address the food safety challenges. So we are we are looking for that, you know, that private partnership, strengthening our uh, uh, public-private collaboration with 
the SMEs in this space mm. so that we can improve on, on access of these farmers into larger markets and grow the economy that way. That was Dr. Dambarai Naika, Food Safety Program Manager at CSAR, speaking to Zikonamiso. WHO recommends 30 minutes of physical activity a day for adults and one hour a day for children. If your local or national guidelines allow it, go outside for a walk, a run or a ride, and keep a safe distance from others. If you can't leave the house, find an exercise video online, dance to music, do some yoga, or walk up and down the stairs. Avoid touching your eyes, nose and mouth to slow the spread of the coronavirus. For more information on the coronavirus, visit the World Health Organization site at www.who.int. For your latest update on the novel coronavirus or COVID-19, for Channel Africa, I'm Arthur Skopo in Lusaka, Zambia. If you develop fever, cough, and difficulty breathing, seek medical advice promptly, as this may be due to a respiratory infection or other serious condition. At 7.40 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Doctors Without Borders, or MSF, has helped reduce the burden of non-communicable diseases in Zimbabwe through their pilot nurse-led program. The program that started four years ago was initiated to capacitate nurses to diagnose and manage diabetes and hypertension patients in the absence of doctors owing to staff shortages. According to MSF, NCDs are estimated to account for 31% of total deaths with diabetes, hypertension, and asthma as the main killers, increasing the burden to the sub-Saharan Africa. Simon Muchema reports from Harare. Zimbabwe has been facing many challenges that have resulted in the deterioration of the health sector affecting millions of people living away from major cities. The National 2010 Census indicated there were 1.6 physicians and 7.2 nurses for every 10,000 people and the number continues to decrease the more one keep drifting away from the capital. Noting how HIV was impacting on the health sector, already burdened with the hypertension and diabetes, Doctors Without Borders, MSF, started a pilot project that has begun to show its positive fruits in Manicaland province. MSF country director Ronaldo Otuno had this to say regarding his program. The main objective of this program was to develop a nurse-led model of care for diagnostic, management, and monitoring for diabetes and hypertension patients through simplified guidelines and cost-effective medicines. Mentoring approach was used. MOH nurses were trained on simplified guidelines and prescribing medicines to manage diabetes and hypertension. At the same time, basic diagnostic tools were used to diagnose and monitor the conditions. Patients were also educated to know and manage their condition. Various patient groups were formed so they could support each other and share experiences to empower them and to understand better their condition and care needed. We as well have a strong component of advocacy, so we can support further in terms of policy changing, allowing nurses to manage diabetes and hypertension, considering the lack of human resources that exist in MOH setup. The MSF boss added, 
Since we started the support in 2016, more than 3,000 people with diabetes and hypertension have accessed services, including supply of medicines, monitoring, and free care provided by NSF. In addition to that, more than 12,000 people on ERT have benefited from the technical support offered by NSF to the MOHR nurses in the supported facilities. Other interventions include the mentoring of ERT, viral loads, TB and DRTB, and at the same time we did the rehabilitations of healthcare facilities and water supply systems. The average annual budget that MSF used in this program was around 1.3 million per year in the four years that we supported. In Zimbabwe, doctors normally do the management of NCDs, but with the shortage, few doctors were found dealing with NCDs giving birth to the huge management gap. The pilot project proved nurses could diagnose and manage diabetes and hypertension while working in a conducive environment. The project was in partnership with the Ministry of Health, hence nurses such as Clara Chizimba benefited. Basically this program, it came at the right time, especially with these economic challenges in, in our country. It really benefited our community very much. It was a little bit challenging because it was something which is beyond our scope of practice. For us to, to know the protocols of proper assessment, diagnosis and management of these NCDs and even the follow-up. 31% of the country's total deaths are as a result of diabetes and hypertension and asthma, especially in the remote parts of Zimbabwe. The NEST-led approach will go a long way in reducing the NSD mortality in the country, Priscilla Liwayo, a nurse in the program said. They were giving us mentorship, teaching us how to manage complications in HIV. Also the burnout, the pressure of work has lessened because of that. I'm happy to say we are now able to manage those clients because of the nurse-led approach. We were taught how to manage those clients. So everything is going on very smoothly. MSF is an international medical humanitarian organization that delivers emergency aid in more than 70 countries to people affected by conflict, epidemics, disasters, or exclusion from healthcare. In Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchema. South Africa's tourism department says the sector is ready to welcome domestic and international travellers. This comes as the country's lockdown levels continue to be eased. The sector hosted a three-day tourism activation campaign in the Tsitsikama area, one of the tourist attractions along the garden route in the Eastern Cape. Tourism Minister Mamuluku Kubai Nkubani and Eastern Cape Premier Oscar Mabuyani took part in a series of fun activities in including jumping off the world's highest bungee bridge. Andangonji reports. The Eastern Cape Premier Oscar Mabuyani jumping off Blokrans Bridge, the highest commercial natural bungee jump in the world. This was just one of the many fun activities that followed in Tsitsikama this past weekend. Tsitsikama is known for its rich heritage, its culture and beautiful nature. It is also a tourism hub, attracting thousands of tourists both domestically and internationally each year. But this year, the tourism industry was hard hit by COVID-19. The total lockdown and caution not to spread the deadly virus meant no guests could be taken in or tourists entertained. 
With the economy of the Eastern Cape relying heavily on the sector, this too was affected. The Minister of Tourism, Mamuloko Kubayi Ngubanes, has encouraged the South Africans to continue supporting tourism initiatives. She says the sooner things resume to normal again, the better it is for the economy. We are in the Eastern Cape together with the Premier and the MEC to say Eastern Cape is ready to receive you as South Africans. But as President announced that international borders will be opened and therefore they will be ready as well to receive the international clients. One of the things as well is to check in terms of state of readiness in complying with the protocols. And I am happy that everybody is wearing their masks, everybody is sanitizing and screening is happening as per our directions. St. Park's general manager, Vui Swatabete, says COVID-19 presented an unexpected loss to the sector. She says having to close down due to lockdown meant no revenue. Tabete says this campaign has provided them with a boost and open doors to recovery. Uh, lockdown, as you may know, is a, it's affected a lot of the tourism industry. We are sent parts as well. We're still feeling the pinch today. Yes, we are grateful for this opportunity for the launch today because it's giving us a boost as well in terms of the tour- tourism. Not only for the local tourism or domestic tourism, we are also grateful that we are opening our borders up for international guests. The Premier of the Eastern Cape, Oscar Mabuyane, has welcomed this launch saying the Eastern Cape economy benefits immensely from the sector. Tourism is a niche. It's one economic sector that can help us to stimulate our economy. It has done that before. Eastern Cape is actually rich in those hidden gems. We've got a lot here to offer. You've got a sea, you've got mountains, you've got animals, you've got nature generally. So we've got everything to offer to tourists into our province. So a program of this nature helps us to really unearth and showcase those hidden gems. The Sarah Batman municipality also launched a similar event. Local tourists, organizations and residents were treated to Adrenaline Addo, situated just 20 minutes away from the Addo Elephant Park. Activities included zip lining and swinging on a giant swing. Under Nongi in Eastern Cape. Hello. To celebrate African women's achievements, self emancipation, human rights, and democracy, listen to Humanity Women in Unity an advocacy radio program against all forms of gender-based discrimination and violence against women. Humanity, Women in Unity, on Channel Africa every Thursday at 5 past 10 Central African Time and every Sunday at 5 past 6 Central African Time. Humanity, Women in Unity, with Dr. Amalea Gonez-Malka, every Thursday at 5 past 10 Central African Time and every Sunday morning at 5 past 6 Central African Time. Channel Africa, celebrating African women's achievements. The voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective. It's 7.50 Central African Time and our economics update up next with Tabiso Lohoku.
A very good morning. UK Bank, HSBC and Standard Chartered's Hong Kong shares have dropped, following reports that they and other banks moved large sums of allegedly illicit funds over nearly two decades despite red flags about the origins of the money. The reports are based on leaked suspicious activity documents filed by banks and other financial firms with the US Department of Treasury. The revelations underscore challenges for regulatory and financial institutions are trying to stop the flow of dirty money despite billions of dollars of investments and penalties imposed on banks in the past decade. Zimbabwe's listed diversified concern, Tobacco Sales Limited, have suffered a sharp volumes decline across its subsidiaries during the third quarter ended July, mainly due to recorded tobacco quantities this season. Expectations were that national tobacco volumes would have been between 10 and 15 percent lower than the 48 million, or rather, the 248 million kilogram achieved last year. Currently, at 182 million kilogram, indications are that the national crop will fall short of the original target. Amidst sustained pressures on Nigeria's official foreign exchange resources, the Central Bank of Nigeria has opened investigations into foreign exchange transactions of 55 companies and individuals. The Apex Bank linked them to foreign exchange deals outside of the official investors' and exporters' window. The window was created by the CBN as the legitimate platform for buying and selling of foreign currencies. Bank of Namibia Governor Johannes Gawahab says he has told, sold interests rather in his businesses and resigned from all directorships to be at the helm of the central bank. He says he did not accept the position to build a career but to serve. His appointment raised eyebrows with critics saying he was to be the chief of the bank that regulates the financial market where some of his then companies are players. The South African Liquor Traders Council says it's concerned about continued restrictions on the sale of alcohol. With the country now in level one of lockdown, liquor outlets can now sell alcohol from nine this morning to five in the afternoon from Monday to Friday, Central African time. However, it is still not allowed on Saturdays and Sundays. The council's convener, Lakin Dimani, says that they will engage government over their reservations. The U.S. dollar is trading at a 383.47 Nigerian Nara, 11.25 Botswana Pula, 107.49 Kenyan Shilling and 1996 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, we'll start in Brazil. One U.S. dollar there costs 5 rule 38 Russia. 75 rubles 66, India 73 rupees 44, China a dollar is changing hands at 6 yuan 76 and in South Africa it will cost you 16 rand 31. The US dollar is also trading at 77 pence to the British pound and 84 cents to euro. Looking at commodities markets now, gold is trading at $1,953 and platinum at $929 dollars pounds brand crude oil 
is at $43.34 a barrel. It's Channel Africa. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Well, that wraps up Africa Raz and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Luanda Maume, technical producer Mario Edwards, and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.co.za or WhatsApp on plus 277-6300327 or tweet us at Channel Africa 1. I'll take us to the top of our folding news is Brima by Yusundo. Stay safe and goodbye. My certain digger, Yamomule, my certain digger, Yamomule, my certain digger, Yamomule.
SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. In the headlines, South Africa officially enters alert level one of the nationwide lockdown. Cameroon is sending hundreds of troops and police to the Central African Republic to protect civilians and build peace ahead of the December elections. And U.S. Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden urged Senate Republicans not to vote on any candidate nominated to the Supreme Court. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. I'm Anne Musa. Good morning. South Africa has officially entered alert level one of the nationwide lockdown. More regulations have been eased to allow South Africans to further start adjusting to the new normal. Only one industry remains banned entirely, and that is the nightclub industry. The overnight curfew will now begin at midnight until 4 a.m. Alcohol will be sold every weekday until 5 p.m., but will not be sold on a weekend. However, it will be available. Available up to midnight in bars, taverns, restaurants and pubs. The number of people at any venue must not exceed 50% of its capacity. Outdoor events are allowed with a maximum of 500 people and indoor gatherings with a maximum of 250 people. However, spectators at sporting events are still not allowed. A maximum of 100 people are now allowed at a funeral, but night vigils are still banned. It is still mandatory to wear a mask when in public and adhere to social distancing. South Africa's opposition parties are calling for Parliament to resume all its duties and operations as as the country has entered Level 1 lockdown. According to COPE, there's no reason for Parliament to wait as all the other institutions, including schools, have resumed normal operations. Spokesperson Dennis Bloom says the South African Parliament must get its act together. Now that the country will go back to level one, we will also expect 